Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Adventurer, filmmaker, inventor, author, unlikely celebrity, and conservationist, Jacques-Yves Cousteau and his exploration of the ocean became synonymous with a love of science and the natural world. As he learned to protect the environment, he brought the whole world with him, sounding alarms more than 50 years ago about the warming seas and our planet's vulnerability. In Becoming Cousteau, two-time Academy Award-nominated filmmaker Liz Garbus takes an inside look at Cousteau and his life, his iconic films, and inventions and the experiences that made him the 20th century's most unique and renowned environmental voice. We're joined today by the director and producer of Becoming Cousteau, and that would be Liz Garbus. Liz, welcome back to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I grew up with Jacques Cousteau. I watched all of those specials uh, back in back, way back and was inspired by him and always fascinating. Uh, in terms of not only what he did, what he f- focused on, but him as a personality. He always seemed like a very avuncular, inviting personality to bring us into these different subjects. Tell me a little bit about what inspired you to become the ex- producer and director of this documentary. Well, like you, I grew up watching these television shows. You know, they were just, you know, I adored them and I looked forward to every Sunday pulling my chair up to the TV and seeing a world that I had never um, been able to see for myself. Um, I think none of us really had at that time. And so when I, one night when I was reading a book to my son and Cousteau came up, I realized that this was this incredible icon for my childhood. His legacy was, was sort of being forgotten. Um, so I started to poke around and, and see, is it, you know, were there films made or were his films available? And they really weren't. Um, this was about seven years ago. So I began to read and think about it more, sort of came across a narrative about his life, or I gleaned a narrative about sort of a transformation in his mission and calling from that that kind of adventure explorer that I, I came to know on the, on the TV show to a real activist and a conservationist. It felt to me like that was the story for this moment. That was the, you know, that transformation from hubris to advocate was a metaphor for what the work we need to do as a society at this moment. And this was the time to, to tell this story. Agree with you absolutely that it it's uh it does mirror the times in so many ways and you know prior to his specials on television the world as as you were just alluding to the world of the ocean that we knew was mostly in a Hollywood film and it was usually about some under underwater sea creature that was terrorizing the the community or very little of the ocean was known to us and he certainly opened that door and I. I want to explore kind of how he became who he became because it's it's almost by fate in some ways. He was in an accident and he recovered by swimming and diving with some of his friends and sort of walk us through a little bit about how he got involved with the ocean at the beginning of his life. Yeah, so um, Cousteau, I think from a young age, knew he was a bit of an adventurous soul. Um, there's a story that did not make it into the film that... Um, 
that he told about being a, a young boy at a summer camp, his parents came to America for a couple of years, being a bit of a rascal and as punishment, a, a counselor who he called a, a, who he mentioned was a German counselor, made him dive to the bottom of the pond and pull up the, what he called, you know, the weeds at the bottom of the pond. And that Cousteau thought that was a wonderful punishment. Um, so he was always a bit of a rascal and someone who liked to go further and explore. And um, that continued as he grew older and, and wanted, dreamed of being a pilot. So he trained as a pilot. As you mentioned, one night he got into a car accident and he broke many, many bones and almost died at the side of the road. And he found uh, to recuperate some, some pals, some buddies in the south of France. And someone had recommended that he go seek out these, these swimmers in the south of France as a, as a means of recuperation. These two men were Philippe Taillet and Frédéric Dumas, who would later come to be known as the three... Muscamere, the Musketeers of the Sea. And they, along with Cousteau, were spearfishers. And then they got some ideas in their head about how they could try to stay underwater for longer. And as um, the kind of adventurous rascals and spirits that they were, they began to experiment and ultimately developed what we now know as, as scuba. Right, right. That's uh, there's so many things in the film that I was not aware of in terms of his life and his propensity for invention, but also in a small way, they went from, in terms of his outlook on the ocean and the relationship that we have to it, he went from spearing these fish to it occurred to him that maybe there was another way to enjoy the ocean, which was to observe it. Is that correct? It sort of made that transition, didn't it? Exactly. I mean, and that was exactly the transition that um, I wanted to explore in the film. He, through firsthand experience, you know, saw the the degradation of the seafloor and coral reefs. He um, felt the warming waters against his own skin. He realized that sea life that he encountered and, you know, hanging on to the backs of sea turtles and swimming around them. He realized the fragility of this ecosystem and went from its first biographer in some way, its cameraman, to to wanting to be its um, greatest protector and sound the alarm. And that was the arc of his life that I found so interesting and that we, we focus on in the film. Yeah, it is amazing. Once he got to that point in his life, uh, as someone who went around the world looking at all of these different aspects of the ocean, all the different life that is is below our view, you see he along with his family. And I do want to explore a little bit about his family. Uh, when I was saying earlier about his sort of his fate was the ocean, he ended up marrying a woman whose own family was very much a part of, of the ocean as well. Talk a little bit about Simone and, and yeah. her friend. Yeah, Simone Cousteau, or uh, started off, uh, Simone Melchoir was, for me, one of the most wonderful discoveries in, in the research. You know, oftentimes we, 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 we know the stories of, of great men who have, who have accomplished a lot. And, you know, there's often an unknown woman by their side. And in this case um, of Cousteau, that was very true. Simone Cousteau came from a family of sailors and she was addicted to the sea. She wanted a life at the sea. But as a woman, she could not become a sailor. So she found herself <laughs> someone who loved the sea as much as she did and married him. And there's a quote in the film from her friend who says, you know, she, that she told Cousteau, 
you know, I'll give you two children, you give me the sea. <laughs> now, who knows if that was the poetic, you know, French interpretation of a more nuanced conversation, but indeed it played out that way. I mean, these were two parents who lived aboard the Calypso and uh, their kids were sent to boarding school. Um, you know, they're on the boat a couple months a year, but Simone, the Calypso and the sea, they, they were her great loves. And uh, she spent more time on board than anybody, than Cousteau himself. And she she kept the, the the crew kind of together and safe. And, you know, she was called the shepherdess. And, and that she was called that because she kept the herd from going over the edge. Um, so she was just a delightful character who, who really is worthy of her own film. The problem with her was she didn't like being on camera. So there was very little footage of her. And we really used all we found. But I loved getting to know her through this, through the research yeah. of this film. I was fascinated by her. And as you said, she's very much in the background, didn't like to be photographed. But uh, as uh, Jacques Cousteau described the, the crew of, as misfits and dropouts. And uh, for them, for them, <laughs> for them, this was an opportunity that they may not have ever had in any, in any other way in their life. And they certainly seem to have taken advantage of, certainly seems like there was a lot of esprit de corps among the people that he gathered around him and a real yeah. love of what the work they were doing. Indeed, indeed. I mean, I think as children, we all looked at it and, and thought perhaps they were having way too much fun. And we didn't really know exactly how and what. But, in, you know, there it seems like there was that incredible camaraderie and excitement about this, these adventures they were taking that, um, that were unprecedented. And I'm sure they hadn't even known to dream of, you know. We're speaking with Liz Garbus. She is the director of a new true adventure film documentary. <laughs> Uh, called Becoming Cousteau. I, I wink, love wink. I, lo I love you, you know, and the Academy Award for True Adventure for, uh, Film goes to Liz Garvis. Um, the, uh, and the film will be released in uh, theaters uh, this Friday, October 22nd. Be looking for it. It's being released through National Geographic film uh and they're doing an amazing job over there lots of really really good documentary films have come out of the national geographic of late i do want to explore another part of his life and not only as an inventor and adventurer but his love of cinema and who knew mm. louis mall i mean so <laughs> you know i you know those french they hang together i guess but no they uh, <laughs> But um, did you, were you, I mean, I guess you would have been aware. And of course, from the, from all the, the TV series, we know he did enjoy being a part of a, of a film, but nonetheless, this part of his life um, before all of that was new to me as well. Yeah. Cousteau's early films are really quite beautiful. I mean, one of his earliest films, I, I love the most, The World Without Sun. And yeah, when he looked for uh an intern, he went to a film school in Paris and guess who he picked out? <laughs> Louis Malle. You know, he really thought Cousteau was an incredible filmmaker and had an incredible sense of cinema and adventure and pacing and a visual eye. Uh, yeah, that, you know, it's... Um, it's really quite extraordinary how, how that happens. And Mal was not a sea loving man, um, but he got he got he he got his bona fides on that on that boat. Yeah, that's a great part of it. And at one point, um, I believe uh, Jacques said something to the effect that he wanted to be the John Ford of the ocean. And I think the, his first film was called The Silent World. And it's an interesting arc to the story of that film, basically how. When he made it, it was celebrated as one of the great films in that genre of that kind of film. 
And over time, he his perspective changed somewhat. Um, not that the craft was any less impressive, but I think his perception of the of of it was a little different. Yeah, I mean, the silent. War, it wasn't his first film, but it was his first feature length film. Okay, and. He, yeah, I mean there there are you know at the risk of giving away too much, but there are scenes that in the in the film that yeah. that are really uncomfortable for um, especially with our modern eye, and perhaps even with a non modern eye. I don't you know I can't put myself in those uh, in that in that seat at the, at that at that time. But yeah. encounters with sea life that are that are quite brutal and. Cousteau himself says later he can't even look at his own film because his whole attitude towards nature has enti- has shifted entirely. Um, and, you know, I thought that was, you know, wonderful for a person to look so squarely at their flaws. I mean, he, he talks about that on, on national television with, with on the Dick Cavett show. But, you know, but it, it also just stood as a, you know, one example of his, the larger arc of his life and his story, kind of going from that, you know, male, you know, conqueror, um, must do anything, see everything, no matter what the cost, to somebody older and a little wiser saying, no, there are some costs that are too great. I wouldn't do it this way again. Thank you. Because that, that's exactly my point in bringing it up was that, you know, the perception of of the, the conqueror, as you said, of these, of the world, as opposed to the, the, uh, the conservator and the, you know, someone who takes care of our of our world. One of the things about the film that is distressing, and it's not Jacques Cousteau's fault at all, but we pick up his story about the importance of taking care of the oceans and taking care of the world in in a much better way back in the early 70s. This is around Mm -hmm. the time of Earth Day and some, some movement, certainly in the United States and around the world, towards what I'm talking about. The environmental importance of taking care of the world. And then we pick it up again in 1992 at Rio. These messages that were sent out in 1970 and 71 and 1992 are precisely the same messages that we're still seemingly have to convince much of the world is important. And that's distressing. And that's not on Jacques Cousteau, but it's on this resistance to something that we should have been doing 40 or 50 years ago. Um, you know, I can't agree with you more. And, you know, in the edit room, we often talked about, you know, the film as a Cassandra story, you know, the Greek myth of Cassandra who who warns of warns of impending doom and nobody listens. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, 1971, he's talking about these things. 1992, he's feeling hopeful because there's this first global summit where he's, I mean, first of all, Cousteau is the only non-head of state you know, kind of at the, at these uh, in these high level talks, and he's able to one minute be talking to Fidel Castro and the next Bush, sort of bring together world leaders on the subject of conservation. First of all, there is nobody who kind of exists in that non political you know space anymore. You have a young female a- activist like Greta Thunberg who's entirely politicized. You know, so that's one very sad thing. And then the other sad thing is the things that they're talking about in '71, and then you know more concretely in '92 are still things that are haven't come to pass in terms of moving from fossil fuels to sustainable energy and of course protection of of the ecosystems the very 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 fragile ecosystems under the sea and an understanding that it's all one totally connected um, and that the oceans you know are are key to our survival 
it's and it's tragic. And I think you know it's a reason I wanted to make the film. I mean, Cousteau's voice was extremely important, and and we need um, we need more people filling his shoes, and hopefully figures who can transcend politics because it really is a matter of of survival. And our children know it. You know, we have we have failed. We have failed them. Truly, a man for the ages. And one positive that did come out of his work is. The, the moratorium on exploration of Antarctica. And there were, so he, here there were some concrete accomplishments on his part. And uh, again, the film is called Becoming Cousteau. It is opening in theaters on October 22nd. Be looking for this. Again, it comes out through National Geographic Films. One last comment. And if you want to talk about uh, this a little bit, it's up to you, but you have focused in your career on people who are either kind of behind the scenes or reticent to be in front of a camera for mm-hmm. their own gratification, but uh, Nina Simone, Marilyn Monroe, Bobby Fischer, and Gloria Vanderbilt, you have taken on, you've taken on these projects to illuminate lives of people who have not sought the spotlight in, in the way uh, I guess you can make the argument that Marilyn Monroe sought the spotlight, but nonetheless, that side of her, the, the side of her that we we were not privy to, and I and you've done this again with with Jacques uh, Cousteau, and I want to I just want to acknowledge this gift and and your talent in this in this regard. So, oh, thank you, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Again, we've been talking with the director and producer of this wonderful documentary film called Becoming Cousteau. Liz Garbus, thank you so much. Come back anytime. And um, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 